apologies for the apologies for the technical difficulties, but I think we are here now live online with Rabbi David Schoonmaker, Rosh Hashiva of Darchinoam. Are you with us, Rabbi Schoonmaker? Yes, I am. I, uh, so apologies for the difficulty in getting things started, but here we are. I should just I should just add that Rabbi Schoonmaker and I are very, very, very old friends. Uh, old is the length of the friendship, not our own personal age. But I'm delighted to have him here, to host him here on Web Yeshiva for a special shiur to hear his Torah in advance of Pesach. So take it away, Rabbi David Schoonmaker. Okay, thank you very much. I apologize again for the technical difficulties. Uh, it's the first time I have the pleasure of being with Web Yeshiva, so we had to log in a little bit, switch computers. But here we are, and thank you very much for everybody for joining, and I hope we'll have a nice little learning experience together. And if people have questions in the middle, feel free to ask, and uh, Ezra and the good team at Web Yeshiva will hopefully help us to make sure that everything goes through, runs smoothly from here on in. Okay, we know a lot, friends, about what happened to Klai Yisrael, what happened to the Jewish people as they left Egypt. We had Kriyas Yamsov, the splitting of the sea, Mechemes Amalek, right, a few days or a few weeks after that. Our uh, great nemesis Amalek came upon us, complaints about water, Mara, a little bit of uh, a stop in Mara, a place called Mara, where they received different mitzvot. Of course, the grand event, our greatest hour, Kabbalah Satorah, Kabbalah Torah, when we received the Torah. But how they left, the Torah offers very little about. Really, and it's a fascinating thing, there's only one word description about in what way they left. And that word is Kamushim. It's interesting when the Torah just gives us one word of description. I'll give everybody another example where we find such a thing. The, the shir, which we sing every Friday night, which is really from Mishlei, from the last paragraph of Mishlei, the end of Mishlei, Eishas Chayel. We learn a lot about what the Eishas Chayel produces, what the woman of valor does, She's excellent at business. She goes on ships. She makes sure that her family is fed well and clothed in the winter. No one has to fear when they're with her. But what's, what embodies her? What adjectives do we have that tell us about her? And it's only one thing. It's she's an Aishas Chayel. She's a woman of valor. Okay? We're not talking about Aishas Chayel right now. I just wanted to give another example of where we find um, this kind of interesting idea of one descriptive term to talk about something which is very obviously an important thing. So we're going to examine for our time together tonight is the idea of what is in the word chamushim. Okay, now I'd like to, everybody has the worksheet in front of them, the source sheet in front of them. So without peeking, if you can, I'd like to hear from, from you, if I can, what do you think the word chamushim means? Before we go forward, I want to just, just look at that word. It's an interesting word. It's not a super common word. So anybody have any ideas about that? You can say it or write in.
Hamushim Ezra can they answer? Any comment? They have a free mic or people people can comment. They can open their microphones or they can chat into the uh, chat box. Okay, good. So, any ideas? Anybody out there? Hamushim. Sorry. Yes. A fifth. A fifth. One fifth. Okay, good. Thank you. Who do I hear? Who's speaking there? Judy Lee. Good five. Good. Very good. Hamushim. Definitely can relate to the word chamesh somehow, right? Chamushim, of course, the word in Hebrew, which means... Now, it would be hard to believe that someone could say a fifth without knowing the source, because I don't know why you would hear in chamushim a fifth. But the idea of five is certainly there. Chamesh, and we're going to look into that. Excellent. What else? Anybody in modern Hebrew know a term which relates to chamushim? So chamushim, if anyone has any children in the army... Our, our chayalim, when a chamush means to be armed. Okay, so it's interesting, the word chamushim, chamush means to be armed. We could certainly relate it to the idea of five. Good, excellent. So let's look now, read through a bunch of mafarshim together. Uh, each mafarsh is very interesting, and then we'll put together the main part of this year, which is going to lead us to this idea of rachmanut, of mercy and power, that will show that in that way, did Klai Yisrael leave Mitzrayim? So let's see Rashi, of course, the classic commentator of Shlomo Yitzchaki. So Rashi says here, Ein chamushim elem mizuyanim. Thank you, Ezra. Chamushim means mizuyanim. The zayin means to have weapons. And this verse is not written, as I don't know everybody's Hebrew level, and I don't know, know, don't know the class, so... I'm going to translate everything. That's always a good policy. And anybody, it's too much um, translation for I apologize. But I think it'll be fine. Different. I looked that up today. What's Is it L'Saber or L'Saber? But really what it means is that this verse is coming to counter a question which you might have. Okay? To, to take care of an issue. It's a preempt. A preemptive strike. Shloti in order that you don't ask, in the battle of Amalek, and the battles that the Jewish people had against Sichon Minyan, where did they have battles? Now we find that in our narrative through Chumash, we have battles. We fought, we fought Amalek. They were real battles. They were they weren't they weren't virtual battles. They weren't um, <laughs> there were people there that were fighting us, and we fought against them. Oh, Sichon Vogue. Can someone tell me, by the way, um, time-wise, what was the difference in how long the difference in time between the battle with the Malik was and the battle with Sichon Vogue was? Can I turn to everybody? Can I hear you or you can chat? When was Milchemed Amalek? Okay, so Mechemet Amalek was right away. It was between the time they left and um, from the time they received the Torah, which was 49 days later, was Mechemet Amalek. Sichon V'og Midian was only at the end of the 40 years of Klai wanderings in the Midbar, in the desert, that that happened. So Rashi is, um, is grabbing on a 
large swath of time and telling us that on both of those times, you're going to wonder where did they have uh, weapons for? So according to Rashi, the idea of the word Mizuyanim right now is kind of utilitarian, right? It's practical. You might have this practical question. So therefore the Torah God at the beginning set us up in a way that we won't have a question. Okay, we'll get back to that. Dabar Acher, Rashi, as he so often does, offers a second alternative reading. And here he says, Chamushim, this is the idea which someone referred to before, Echad Michamisha Yatsu, one out of five left. Varba Chalakim Meitu Bishloshit Yimeyafela. And three passed, four, excuse me, and, and three portions passed away in the three days of darkness. That was, of course, referring back to the ninth of the ten plagues, Makat Choshech. Okay, so interestingly, the two ideas that we offered that one can see in the word Hamushim, Rashi discusses each of them. Okay, we're not going to go into now why Rashi said two pshatim and what fourth is Rashi to say two pshatim, right? Rashi sometimes only offers one. That's not the point of our of our class tonight. But these are the two ideas we see from Rashi. He they went out with um, weapons, or they went out one one uh, one fifth. Okay, we're going to come back both to both of the ideas. Let's move ahead to the Ramban. Ramban was a little bit after Rashi, also a very, very classical commentator. B'yesh Omrim, Shesiper HaKatuv, Shiatsu B'yad Rama. The Pasuk, the verse is telling us that they went B'yad Rama with, like with strength, with a, with a, with a strong hand, an out and an upper hand. B'chashvu liot gulim. And they thought of themselves, that's how I would translate it, as being redeemed. The lo halchu kidmut avadim borchim. And they didn't go with their tail between their legs like runaway slaves. Okay, this is the Ramban's idea. Now, the Ramban at this point doesn't tell us exactly what the translation of chamushim is. But I again turn to everybody. What does the Ramban say? And then I want you to tell me which of the two um, comments of Rashi does the Ramban agree with? Which one is he working with in this, in his interpretation? Says the Ramban, they didn't leave like runaway slaves, but they left strongly. So which idea is the Ramban working with? Samban, Racha, Ellen, Esther, Judy, Andrej, if I said that correctly, Bonnie, what do you say? Right, thank you, Judy Lee, the first war. Absolutely, right? So interestingly, the Ramban is fitting to Rashi's first idea. Now, let's just analyze further for a second. Where is the Ramban like Rashi and where is he not like Rashi? The Ramban is learning that they left with with, um, utensils of war, but it's different than Rashi. According to Rashi, it was just a more utilitarian, practical reason that the Torah told me about this, right? Why did the Torah relate to me and tell me that they're leaving with articles of war? Well, because you're going to ask this question about where did they have the battle gear from, and now we want you to not have that question, right? The Ramban is more of an expansive, you know, thematic idea. The Torah wants you to know they left with weapons because they left with strength, right? One in a certain way, we're not, we obviously don't judge between the earlier commentators. They're all uh, perfect, but one hears a certain way. The Ramban is more speaks to our our sense of bringing out a point from the Chumash, the way we 
usually like to look at things. You know, according to Rashi, it's just practical. Let's take care of this issue. I want to take care of this issue right away. It's more as like the Ramban is like, uh, is like uh, an, an idea, a magnificent idea. Okay. I want to share a very interesting Rabbeinu B'chai. Rabbeinu B'chai was a commentator a little bit after the Ramban, who often follows in the Ramban's footsteps. And he teaches, in general, um, a very, very important concept in all of Jewish thinking and philosophy and Avodat Hashem and how we approach things in general. So I want to share this. And then we're going to see two of the more difficult before Hashem, and then we'll start putting things together. So says Rabbeinu B'chai, Chamushim Olu Bnei Yisrael. Aldat HaPshat, Ayin Dal means Aldat, like the and on a simple level, again with the idea of weapons. They left Now, one could ask a question, wait, this is the Jewish people. They've just been through basically a year of wondrous things. They've, they're going to cross, they're on their way to cross the sea and God's going to split it for them. They're going to have Mon Minashamayim. They live in a wondrous way. So the Rabbeinu B'chayi continues, Even though the Jewish people is not like other nations, Essentially, ultimately, because of our unique, close relationship to God, we don't need weapons, right? But still, The way of the Torah is to command, One must treat himself as if he lives within the ways of of happening and the natural order. But I want to emphasize, I don't know if Ezra can do that for me, but the word miktsat, very interesting. You must act in a normal way. You must take care to act in a normal way, even though there's something wondrous and spiritual that happens to us. Let's continue. And then afterwards, miracles happen. Place an ambush. This is, I believe, when they were attacking Yericho Jericho. Make an ambush, right? That's the, that, What's an ambush? An ambush is a war tactic, right? We're going to attack the city from the north, and I want to have an ambush from the south. We're going to attack from the west. Make sure that there are people to to see the uh, escaping, the ones escaping from the east. Now says. Rabbeinu B'chayi on this verse. <laughs> but we're talking about a nation that is mulumad, means that they're regular. They're, they're loaded with wondrous things. Right? They've been eating mun that falls to them. Heavenly bread comes to them from above for 40 years. <laughs> Why did they need an ambush? Because <laughs> The Ratzon of the Torah, the right way of the Torah is, everything that he can do, and the rest he has to leave in the hands of Shemaim. Now, it, friends, it was worth coming to hear this Rabbeinu B'chayi, I have to tell you this, and it was worth me reviewing this this year to see again this beautiful Rabbeinu B'chayi because it so uh, explains the Torah Hashkafel, as we explain a little bit more in a moment, in in these terse words, and you can refer back to this sheet, download it, look at yourself, and remember this. This is Hashalom. So too Shlomo says in his classic work, Mishlei Proverbs, The horse is ready. The horse, of course, back then was the object of war. That would be our uh, uh, F-35, 
That would be our Apache helicopter, right? That would be our drone. If you're talking today, that would be our Grim Reaper, right? One of the drones, famous drone called the Grim Reaper. Beautiful. Actually, I know everybody well enough to share a song, but I actually made a song once to these words. <laughs> the horse is ready on the day of battle, and to God is salvation. A person has to be careful. But God will save us. Because salvation is only to him. So that really says it so beautifully. Um, there's a safer uh, that has psuke bitachon. Uh, I'm sure this one is in there, but uh, you know verses of trusting in Hashem, and this is a beautiful verse in Hashem. But both both halves of it. Sus muchan liyom Now, just let's let's give one more word of the Torah hashkafa, which the Rebbeinu Bachai is telling us here. A person can say, "Oh, why aren't you doing what you have to do for your health?" Why are you doing what you have to do for your parnasa, for your livelihood? Why are you doing what you have to do for your shalom bayit? Well, because I trust in Hashem. One second, one second, one second. But 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 you're eating, you know, three pounds of French fries a day. You know how much oil is in that? You don't exercise. You don't do anything for yourself, right? You're you're so he's using bitachon to go against the derech the way of the natural order of things, and it's really a patch for his laziness or her laziness. You're being lazy, and you're blaming God for your laziness. Oh, but now on the other hand, a person will exercise, you know, and never have a single French fry and never ever, you know, be crazed in his head and anxious and about their health. We're not talking about someone who has a specific health problem, but that's also not really Derech Torah, if you think about it. Right, what we see in this Rebbeinu Bachayi, and there are many other sources which get across this point. I do my ishtadlut, but I know that ultimate salvation is going to be a person has to prepare definitely. And those are, I, I love this Rebbeinu Bachayi because it sets up that that um, that tension, and a person can find himself on either pole and and not be honest with themselves. You're not doing what you have to do. The Ratzon Torah is. Hashem wants you to take care of yourself. Hashem wants you to do what you can do for your health in a normal way. right? You have to do that. That's You're not right. Why are you gaining so much weight? Uh, I'm not, not, not getting into that topic. I happen to have lost a lot of weight recently, thank God. But, um, you know, that's a hard topic for all of us. I struggle, like many of us struggle, right? But you have to do that. Okay, but, but okay, so now so now I'll be a fanatic about my health and, 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 and be anxious. No, no, no. Lashem atshua. Okay, so I think that's a beautiful thing. Now let's get, take another step. Very interesting. Says Rabbeinu Bachai and finishes his his treatise here with the idea that going further with the theme of Rashi war utensils, right, weapons, but not just that. Five. Now I happen to have shared this shiur in my yeshiva today, Chappelle's Darchinom and Beit Karim. And we have a member of the yeshiva who is in Shaldag. And if everybody knows what that is, I know where we are in the planet. But those the Israelis probably know Shaldag is one of the best units in the Israeli army. I mean, it's really one of the top five units. Probably there's there's seals and Sayer Matkal, where uh, Ehud Barak and Benjamin Netanyahu were, and, and uh, that's maybe probably the most famous unit. But Shaldag is way up there. So I asked him, 
I said, Avi, how many, uh, how much would you, you know, would you wear? So he said, well, he said, do you count the grenades as one or separately? Which was a good question. I said, not counting the grenades separately. So he said, we have about three weapons. So, so they were bristling. They were armed to the teeth. <laughs> they were, Kleiser wasn't just armed. They were armed to the teeth. They had their machete. They had a short knife. They had an M16. It was unbelievable. Okay. So they were, they were, they were mamish packed. Fine. We're going to sh- share two more short before, two more short commentators, and then start putting things together. But I f- remind you, friends, remember this Rebbeinu B'chai, because it's really, it's a beauty, and it's really encapsulating those six words. Sus muchan liyom l'Hashem you, you need your sus, and you have to remember l'Hashem So the Targum Yerushalmi, interesting things happen in the Targum. Targumim. You know, we often, we think of Targum, we think of Targum Unkulis. Targum Unkulis is, is very, very close to Pshad. And that's why, you know, the classical Takana of Chazal, the enactment of Chazal was to learn Shnei Mikra Echa Targum, right? Uh, that means, that meant Targum Unkulis specifically. But there are other Targumim. The targum literally means translation, but they were like short translations, but they added a lot of interesting things. And you can very closer to Midrashic ideas, what we're used to as Midrashic ideas. So here we have this. The Targum Yishami says, Mizainin b'uvada tava. Okay, that's Aramaic. Don't be scared of the Aramaic. They're armed, right? But not with a machete. They're armed, not with a rifle. They're armed, not with a slingshot. They're armed with good masim. Ba'uvada tava. Wow. Very, very, very interesting. We're going to focus on that. Okay? But let's see the Targum Yonasan. This is the Targum of Yonatan ben Uziel, who was a Tana from the Tanaitic period, right, from about uh, 300 BC till about uh, 150 uh, CE, something like that. And he says, really, a fascinating idea. The Cholchad in Chamsha Taflin, Sliku Bnei Israel Me'ar de Each one left with five Taflin. Does anybody want to know what Teflon is? It sounds like Teflon. Does not mean Teflon. Anybody know what Teflon is? Let's break that word down. Teflon is like we say Taf Vinashim. Anybody? Any chatters over there for me? It's a hard one. Taf is children. Each one with five children. Sliku B'nai Yisrael this rhyme. Every member of the Jewish people left with no less than five children. Now, let's let's think together how many Pshatim we have all together. Okay, I'm going to review quickly, then we're going to try to categorize a little bit, and then we're going to then we're going to take things to the next level. We have idea number one, you can see my fingers, I hope, right? We have idea number one is armed, right? Idea number two is a fifth. Idea number three is armed with five weapons. Idea number four is armed with good masim. And idea number five is five children. Now, let's break that down. And really, the two um, the two ideas that we started with are really the shorish, the root of the different comments. It's either armed chamush as it relates to mizuyan, armed, or it's chamush, chamesh, as it relates to chamesh, five, right? Watch this. It's either armed with weapons, right? Armed with what? Masim tovim, right? 
And a fifth, a fifth of the Jewish people, or five children. And then we have Rabbeinu Bechaye, who's interestingly a combination shot. Why does anybody understand why I say that Rabbeinu Bechaye is a combination shot? Is a combination interpretation? Anybody? So I'll tell you, he's a combination because he says armed with five weapons. So he's using both the idea of armed and the idea of and the idea of weapons, right? Oh, excuse me, armed and five. It's both together. And you have to understand him shot how he knew how to do that. I don't want to go into it. It gets a little bit past our technique. But um, anybody would like to hear more about that, I could answer that question at the end, right? But how, how did he how did he arrive at that? Because how can you draw on both, right? Rashi, you can say two shot them, but you can't necessarily put them together, armed with five, okay? Now, here for the rest of our time together, I want to deal with four big questions. As we've seen the Mepharshim, and we learned great things from Rabbeinu Bechaye about how Torah works, we're leaving that idea. Here are the questions. One, why did the Torah, according to Rashi's second interpretation, why did the Torah choose to teach us that we left with only a fifth of the people and that four-fifths of people died, which is really a very, very uh, sobering idea and a sad idea and a well-known idea, as even mentioned at the beginning by one of you. Why does it tell it to us now? Where would have been the appropriate te- place for the Torah to teach us that idea? Anybody? Where would it, where would have been more appropriate for the Torah to teach that idea? Anybody? Okay, good. So I'll tell you where. What? When we left Mitzrayim. Well, no, it is telling us that now. It, it it's telling us Chamishimalu. That's right. We're we're here. Let's ah good 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 good. Here, one second. Good. Okay, thank you, everybody. Thank you for your comments. So again, everybody, you see my you see the, my cursor, right? This is we're leaving Egypt. The Chamushim Alu Bnei Israel. So that's the word. That's the word we're looking at. This Chamushim. So a fifth. Only a fifth left, okay? So we could have imagined that Torah should have told me that sobering fact when it happened. When did it happen, everybody? It happened during the Makat Oshech, right, which was back in earlier Parshiot, that during the plague of darkness, that's when they died, right? So why is it telling us now? Question number one. Question number two is, let's run down for a second. The Targum Yushalmi says that they were armed. What were they armed with? That was that interesting shot. They were, interesting comment. They were armed with good ma'asim. Well, what good ma'asim were they armed with? Like, what was that about? Yeah. Question number three is this idea of Hamsha Taflin, five children. That's so interesting. Now, let's focus on that. What do you know about the children in Egypt that makes it interesting to say that they left with five children. What do you say, everybody?
What have you heard before about the birth rates? What? Oh, excellent. So says Judy Lee that Medrash says that each one had six six tablets, right? It's very common to say now. This is you know a scary thought to the women and perhaps the men there, but they had six tablets, <laughs> which means they had six children at a time. Now I point out. That means they had six children a time. But if a woman was pregnant two times, she had 12 children, right? Uh, three times 18 children, four times 24 children. So you had an enormous amount of little kids running around, right? So where where that's so random, five. And also just in general, like what does it mean? Each member of Kleisel happened to have had five children? That was like, it was like, you know, China of old where you're not allowed to have more than, like how did that happen, right? That's, that's a, a very, very... Um, I don't know if radical is the right word, very novel. It's a very novel idea, right? One in six died, right? But it, thank you, Judy, right? One in six died, that's a nice idea, but that would be an interesting thing. The Torah is telling me one in six died and and she didn't have another, again, if a woman would have more than one uh, pregnancy, which seemingly they had, so then she would have produced more children. So it's a hard idea, okay? And finally, the fourth fourth question we're going to deal with is, can we somehow bring these divergent shut them together? Which you don't necessarily have to do. There's a value in just learning each comment on its own, certainly. But you know, there definitely but there Hadrush and the way we like to explain the Torah, we do go deeper into things and try to see ideas that come together, bring different shut them together. Okay, that's what we're gonna do. So quick review of the four questions. Why are we teaching the idea of the four fifths dying now? Why did the Torah give us that indication? Back in Makla um, where it happened. Question number one. Question number two. What were the avdin of of the taba, the good masim that the targum Yushalmi refers to over there? What is this idea of five children specifically? Wow, such an interesting idea. It goes runs against the medrash, which we're so familiar with. But even without the medrash, like how did that happen? Everybody dafka had everyone specifically had five children, and let's try to put these. Uh, different comments together. Okay. Now, our guide is going to be someone named Rav Yosef Salant. He wrote a phenomenal Sefer, which is not super, super well known and super popular, but it should be because it's really a wonderful Sefer, what we call Drush. And it brings out the stories of the Torah in a new light. He was a student, he was, excuse me, a descendant of Rav Zundel Salant. His name was Yosef Salant. He was a descendant of the Rabzundel Salant, who was the Rebbe of Rabbi Sural Salanter, I assume many of you have heard of. And not only was he, and Rabzundel Salant was really the one who inspired Rabbi Salanter on his, uh, the Jewish people changing effort of making the Musar movement. So he was very connected to Musar ethics and, and, and all that. He was also a personal student of Rav Yitzchak Petterberger, who was one of Rabbi Salanter's greatest uh, students who came to Israel at the end of his life. Rabbi Yosef lived in Israel, was born in Israel in 1885, lived till 1981. He received smicha from Reb Chaim Berlin, um, son of the Nitziv Velazhin, and one of the popular yeshiva in America was named after him. And uh, he was a well-known darshan. He actually, one final comment, which is interesting, he had some Kabbalistic, mystical uh, thing that he could help people if they had what's called Ayin Hara, which I don't know too much about myself. Maybe Rabbi Sachs could tell you about that. But he had one that he would offer and help people with, and uh, but he would never take money for, from it. So he says, how could I help? Uh, how could I take money for a Jew that's suffering? 
So he was a very um, ethical person, a wonderful person, and he had a tremendous uh, koach in his drashot, a strength in his speaking abilities and his writing abilities. And that's the same for Bar Yosef. It happens to be a translation came out recently in English by a member of my yeshiva. You can look at it from Mosaic Press. Great sell. We'll see if you like it. Now, he develops a beautiful picture based on a new question. I've never seen this question before or after. I've never seen anyone else dealt with it. But let's think about it. So what's happening here? We're in Egypt, right? We're well in the year. The the 10 plagues actually took about a whole year to happen. And uh, as you can switch, we can, we can leave the sheet for a moment, maybe go to a bigger screen. Uh, if the, or I, do I have the control to do that? Full screen view, side by side. We can leave the, if you want, we could just, Maybe easier for everybody if they saw a bigger screen of me, but whatever whatever works. Okay, there we go. Oh, that's me. Oh, I was a little bit younger there. Anyway, oh, they don't, you can't get me a, the live me? Okay, so let's picture what's happening, friends, for a moment. Four-fifths of the Jewish people we're, there we go. Thank you. Four fifths of the Jewish people are somehow not worthy to leave Egypt. Okay, I don't want to get into the ins and outs of that, but it's a well-known thing. I'm, I'm probably not the first person who's taught it to you. It's a sobering thing. It's a sad thing. Avakachave. So, so it was. Now, let's assume for a second, right, that as much as the, um, as much as the uh, men had a certain wickedness. That's what, you know, they weren't fit to leave Egypt. Their wives were also there, right? We don't, we can assume it was a couple. That's a fair assumption for a second. But who did nothing wrong? Besides the one-fifth of the 20% that made it through of the adults. Who else did not? The children. Judy comes in again. Thank you, Judy. The children. What about the kids? Hmm? What a sad situation. Imagine, you know, unfortunately, we have this situation that comes up. It's not unknown, but you'll have, a, I, ha, I happened to actually, this Motsoi Shabbat, I had went to uh, a shiva call by Rebbe Dina Weinberg, who is the, I taught for 15 years in Asia Torah. And she was, of course, Noah Weinberg's wife and the whole, Chuba movement was very much, at least the Chuba Yeshivot were very responsible, where she was really one of the pioneers together with her husband. And um, I always say when I mentioned Rabbi Weinberg, who I wasn't a student of, but I was close with him in my time in time age, that really, you know, every every uh, yeshiva, for at least those returning to the faith, one way or the other, is basically rooted in them. There was always Chabad and there was always Nsiswai, but really the whole concept of Yeshivot for uh, for late starters, for returners to the faith, except for Bali Chuva, really because of him and her. Anyway, so I happen to be sitting next to someone named Ben Sion Cook. I don't know if you know who that is, but his father was the Rav of Rehovot and was killed, Lo Alenu, in a uh, tragic train accident together with his mother and a sister. And that's the famous Simcha Cohen Cook, I'm sure many of you have heard of, was became the Rav in Rehovot only after his father, whose name is escaping me for a moment, passed away. So anyway, I was sitting next to someone. He became a great person himself and a great Talmud Chacham, a great Torah scholar. And it was a, really a schut for me to be standing next to him. 
and I was sitting next to him, I wanted to really just continue the conversation with him afterwards. It wasn't polite. I couldn't leave the shiva. He left before me. Um, but it was, so I was around someone anyway. But the point was, friends, I was around someone who had lost both of his parents in one night, you know, God forbid. So I think it was maybe 50 years ago, even or they, they wrote about recently in Mishpacha magazine. So that was Benzion, Harab Benzion Cook. I was related to the Raya Cook. Anyway, friends, so so it's a tragedy, right? You have you have like enormous amounts of children, but it wasn't just one family that was like that. Was the families of four fifths of Klal again going with going with that idea that uh, that that well known idea that Rashi brings down, which everybody knows, right? You had eighty percent of the families the Jewish people were out. There were thousands and thousands and millions of of, of Yatomim. There are millions of orphans. Who takes care of those kids? What do you say? Who's going to take care of all those kids? Any ideas? Don't be shy. The most you could be is wrong. I'm wrong all the time. Okay, Hashem, good idea. Who else? Who is going to be Hashem's messengers? Klal Yisrael. There you go. Who is that? Bracha. Thank you, Bracha, right? The Jewish people. The Jewish people. This is... This is uh, his theory. It's a nice theory, and it's it's dealing with a question which is a real question, according to the Medrash. Klaus are the Jewish people. Incredible. <laughs> now, now you, you have to get the proportions of this. Now, we talk about a crisis, right? A family in the neighborhood has difficulties, and usually it's one or two people that get together, raise some money for them, etc. Some people help this way, some people that way. That wasn't enough. Because you have an enormous amount of children flying around. So you need everybody involved in this. This wasn't a chesed effort that one person could do. This was a chesed effort that we need the whole Jewish people to get behind. It was just impossible for one or two or three or four. The whole Jewish people had to get behind this. And his theory was that they did. The whole Jewish people answered the call. There were these innocent children who had lost their parents in the darkness and they were sitting forlorn with nobody and there was a grand effort by Klyasrol, all of them, every single member, to take care of these kids. Beautiful idea. Now, help me out everybody. What shot, which comment that we've learned until now in the commentaries we studied, does this help us figure out what it could mean? That was a little bit of a convoluted question, but I think all the right words were there. Good. Okay, we're going to get into that. Excellent. What else? Judy, good. What else? Good. Excellent. Right? (laughs) The Targum said, Targum Yushalmi said what? They left with Masim Tovim. They were armed. They were armed, but not with machetes, not with uh, Japanese swords. They were armed with Masim Tovim. And we asked, what were the Masim Tovim that they were armed, armed with? So the Ber Yosef wants to claim, or Yosef Salant wants to claim, the Masim Tovim they were armed with was this, was this national effort of the greatest proportions to take care of all of these poor Yatomim. Now, the other... Also, didn't they have... 
Mila was one so, of them. The fact that they had done Brit Mila before they left. For sure. That's right. For sure. For sure. For sure. There could definitely, there might be, this, this is, this is, you know, one view of what, it, there are definitely other suggestions of what it could have been or what it was, but you know, this, we'll see how he puts it together. Definitely. De definitely. We're, I wouldn't, I wouldn't view what we're saying now as, as an exclusion of any other idea, but definitely a beautiful possibility and a beautiful uh, interpretation of that. Absolutely. Okay. Now it's also going to help us with this unusual idea that there were five children. Okay, now this is a little bit not according to the simple shot, but let's think for a second. We have, now, I know it's uh, at night, and I know Pesach coming up, and I know people are probably all involved, already involved in Pesach cleaning, but allow me just a few moments to deal with a little mathematics, and uh, it's worthwhile, okay? So, so if you get lost in some of the numbers, it's fine, but let's get the general picture together. You, you have your core family, your, your core Jewish family, let's say man and woman, and four children. That's a fair assumption, right? Some families were probably a lot bigger than that. Some were smaller than that. I think four is a modest estimate on the size of the average Jewish family leaving Egypt, okay? Father, mother, four children. We're, we're simplifying things, and obviously we don't know exactly. We didn't, they didn't never pull, we, we didn't have an evaluation that we know about. But let's, let's go with that picture. Is that good? Father, mother, Four kids. Beautiful. Now, what happens? Father, mother, four kids. You're driving a Mazda 6. You're driving a Sienna, a minivan, right? It could be an Odyssey. You're in good shape. Now, what happens? So everybody wakes up from the Choshech, and they come and see there are, you know, millions of uh, sadly dead people, dead Jews, and we have to take care of the orphans, right? So now each each family had to take how many sets of children to make it work? If 20% were left, one-fifth was left, and four-fifths passed away. So how many sets of children did each family have to take on for it to work? Somebody? How many sets? Should I ask the question again? I'll ask the question again. Listen well, everybody. You have, right, imagine five families, right? And the average of five families in the plague of darkness, one family was left, four families passed away, right? That's what it means, 80%. One-fifth kamushim alu, one-fifth left, four-fifths didn't leave. That means, right, so we were left with four sets of, four sets of children that weren't taken care of. So every Jewish family, every Jewish core group, core family, had to take on another, the children of four families. Make sense? Is everybody getting this or not? It's a problem I can't see everybody enough usually. Yes, no? Everybody gets the math or no? Should I take that as a no? Julie says okay, right? So every family is taking on the children of four, of four families, right? So now that means if you used to get by with a if you used to get by with a minivan, you now need to move something close to a bus because the average family is let's say four kids, right? And now you have four families that have no parents anymore. That means and each of those four families has four kids. So it's four plus another four is eight plus another four is twelve plus another four is 16, right? So, so you went 
overnight, literally overnight, over the night, over the three nights, three three nights of of Choshech, from having four children to be taking care of twenty children. The, your four, your group of your original group of four plus another four groups of four. So it's just an enormous thing. You have to get this picture over here. But he's dealing with the real question: what happened to the what happened to the orphans? So now he wants to claim that that's the shot in the Targum. Um, can we see the uh, sheet again, please, Ezra? Thank you so much. That's the idea of five children. It didn't mean, remember we asked, that's so random. Like, how did everybody have five children, right? So you want to say five children, the idea of Hamshataflin, five kids, isn't five individual kids, it's five sets of kids. Right, a beautiful shot. This is what Darshanim do. They 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 swing things together in this beautiful tapestry. So Hamsha Taflin isn't five children; it's five sets of kids. Okay, that was the now that's therefore that takes care of the two questions we have. What are the Uvada Tava? The Uvada Tava are the good Masim, this national Chesed operation of taking care of the orphans, and each one had four sets of orphans, which which uh, each one had four sets of orphans, which altogether brought us to um, five children, i.e. five sets. And that was an enormous, you know, imagine, I sometimes imagine in my nicer moments, I'll, I do imagine that sometimes. Maybe one day I'll, I'll adopt kids. Maybe one day I'll go from Meisir to Chomish, et cetera. But imagine that, that suddenly going, you know, your family gets bigger because this was a, this was a struggle, right? If you can imagine for a second, after the war, Lola all these orphans came and there's no one to take care of them. So you one could imagine then we'd have to go to a deeper reserve of ourselves to do an enormous, enormous chesed and start not just taking one yatom into my house, into your house, but you have to take, you know, tens and tens of yatom into the house. So so the families went from, from you know, mini, wa- mini wagon, right? Literally, they had, probably had wagons, right? Mini wagon to, to, to buses. And every family needed a bus. And that's the the tova and that's the chamsha taflin. Now, friends, what I want to share for a moment with you is just putting this together. Um, if you think about this, you know, our unique historical claim, as the Kuzari talks about and, and modern modern uh, um, uh, lecturers speak about this also, is, of course, the, the, the Jewish claim of faith, amongst others, is that we claim national revelation, right? That's not a trick that you could pull, pull over on uh, two million people. 3 million people, right? We say 600,000 men, 600,000 women between 20 and 60 were all there and saw national revelation, received the Torah, and they, as the Ramban talks about and the Chumash and the Kuzari talks about. And when you do the numbers, usually you run the numbers. I don't want to do it right now. It's it's late. We started a little bit late, late, but we could go, if you think about it, right, the normal way you imagine is there are 20, between 20 and 60, there are 600,000 men, 600,000 women. That's a million Point two. Let's imagine about four hundred thousand people over sixty. So that's a million six hundred. And if you imagine that, you know, many many families have three or four children. So you're adding on another, uh, you know, two million people. Let's say, right? So really, the claim is that three million, four million people saw it. But according to this idea, if we consider all these isomim, right, and say there was a, a vast number, so the amount of people that are actually at Kabbalah Satara, the national revelation that saw the Torah being received, was really something closer to 10 million, 11 million, 12 million, etc., which is a very interesting idea. So, just to finish up, I put a few things together. The, the chesed that we speak about here, the 
there Yosef says, it wasn't just the chesed of, I'm taking them into my house. It was the chesed of, the Jewish people is about to plunge into the desert, not knowing what was ahead of them. The Nabi, the prophet, tells us later, God says, and this is one of our greatest uh, sources of mercy, the Ramosha Cordovera, the famous uh, mystic, says that when the Jewish people has no schut, when we have no merit, God looks again and redoes the video of the fact that we left Egypt and followed him, right? Just like a, a, a beautiful Kala follows her young Khatan to a foreign land for him to pursue his career. So the Jewish people followed Hashem into the desert. That's what we were. And that's a tremendous schut for us. But now it gives a whole different angle to that. It's not just that we were doing chesed and bringing into our well-developed mansions orphans, as great as that would be. It was they, at this moment of uncertainty, national together with the national uncertainty of not knowing what was ahead and plunging into a desert, suddenly had this enormous responsibility to take care of these children. So that takes the that taste takes the chesed to a whole different level. If you're familiar with that pasuk, the, the um, says there it's a pasuk in Yemiyo, I think Perik Lamed, chapter thirty. Zechar to chesed nu raich. What does the word nu raich mean? I remember the chesed of your youth. It's the chesed of that you did for the Naram, that you did for the children. I remember the chesed you did for the children. You took care of all of these orphans. Jewish people, we start the Seder with kol dichvin. We start the Seder with a call. This is to all the, all, anybody who's hungry. And we always ask, why is that the way to start the Seder? According to what we've learned tonight, that's why we start the Seder with a call to chesed. Because that's how we left Egypt. We left Egypt with a norm, not just love of God. We left Egypt with love of man. We left God with mercy. We left God with Rachmanut. We left God with, as a nation full of chesed. Now, I just want to finish with our title. Our title was With Power and Rachmanut. With Strength and Rachmanut. So the way I like to picture always this very Yosef and what he's shown us is they had one hand on their machete, like the Ramban says. We left with power. We left with strength. We were coming to be the greatest nation that has ever been assembled. And until now, 3,300 years later, the world has ever seen, will ever seen, with strength. Not the strength of hurting other people, not the strength of showing off, but saying that we have a message to the world. That's what it means to be a strong people. We had weapons. We were ready for battle. We were ready to battle for our ideals. But together with that, one hand was holding the F-16, M- M-16, the Galeon, the grenade, and the other hand had some orphans together with him. That's the power. And we left, just putting it all together, we left with power, definitely. We weren't scared. According to what we saw in the Rebbein of Achai, we were, we were armed to the teeth, bristling with a knife between our teeth, and a machete in our right hand. But that was in the right hand. But the left hand was full of chesed. And that's really that's really the message of the Jewish people always. 
They were people of strength. We're called Azin Shabumos. We're, we're, we're bold. We stand up to the world. Neged Ahar. We can look at everything that people say, all the craziness of today, the insanity that's the darkness that's coming into the world today of, I don't want to go into it right now, but everybody has their own darkness. They know about it. And together with that, we're always full of Rahmanu. Rahmanu by Shanam Gumlechasadim. That's how we left Egypt. That is the those are the two ideas that we as people have to try to aspire to as we get to this Egypt Hasman. It's so uh, Egypt uh holiday. It's so nice to be speaking about this today, as it is Rosh Chodesh Nisan, and when we really are gearing up now for uh Pesach like no other time of the year. And I thank every everybody much everybody very much for listening. This was from the Berio Safe. It was almost all from the Berio Safe. And um, thank you very much. Any questions? I'm happy to hear. Can I ask a question, please? Please. I just, I just wanted to know, in terms of the Gula that's imminently arriving, what that means for us in terms of, they say that our Gula, the Gula we will experience will parrot or mimic the Gula of Mitzrayim. What does it mean in terms of one in five leaving and the Chesed? What can you expand on that? Thank well, you. Well, okay. Thank you very much. That was, that was a terrific question. Um, I haven't thought of that question enough, so everybody should see that I'm answering a little bit on the fly. I mean, there is a sobering idea and the idea of one in five leaving, and I know the Chavetz Chaim did mention this idea, so I do say this with a certain confidence, that it's not simple. You know, one of my Rebbeim, Rebbeim Leichter, is a little bit of a famous person, Mishpacha readers, but he's one of the up-and-coming, uh, very well-known Rav. Everybody thinks like Mashiach's going to come, it's going to be great. He says, when Mashiach comes, I'm going to run into my closet. You know, I'm going to be scared. It's going to be a scary time also. So together with, you know, we do see that together with the Gula being, of course, a wonderful time. And the main thing we experience on Passover is the greatness of the time. But it's also time of scariness. Scariness means when there are national eruptions and things change and gogu mogog, these aren't simple things. And I think, you know, in a, a should way, in a simple way, the idea that not everybody made it, is is an idea which is there. It's not simple that everybody will get to the Gula. We 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 daven and we pray, and a lot of Judaism is built in a way, as the Ramchal explains very much in the second uh, part of Derech Hashem, which is an amazing thing you can learn even in English. God is always creating, and tzaddikim are always creating, and people who care about Jewish people are always trying to create systems where more and more and more and more and more people make it. But not everybody always makes it. Certainly not the same way. So I think that idea is there. Um, the idea of Chesed. The idea of chesed being one of the things that's going to get us ready. I, I think, you know, I would just, you know, your excellent question would just lead me to say that, that so too, wait for us to gear ourselves up for the gula. It's interesting. I saw someone, I saw someone today selling uh, shares in sheep. Imagine this, you know, because maybe if the, you want to be ready to bring a, a, a sacrificial lamb, I just saw for 50 shekels, you can join this person for 80. I have to see Rabbi Sachs. Maybe he has, maybe he has one of these groups. You have to spend a lot of money to join Rabbi Sachs' group. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, we hope that Nisan, certainly the Gula will come. Ramosha Feinstein actually used to be sad when ER would come. ER is the month after Nisan because that was a sign that the much hoped for redemption uh, didn't come. But we have, but the idea of getting ready for redemption is getting ready for it. And certainly the more one has lives with strong ideals. Again, by us battling today, the idea of us battling today isn't with weapons. I mean, for our holy chayalim, obviously it is, right? But those, I see most of the people, I assume this is mostly an older uh, crowd. I don't know from what I hear from the voices, et cetera. So for us, what does it mean to battle? We're not, we're not battling, um, we're not battling, um, we're not battling with our, our weapons. Maybe some of our children are zokha to battle, et cetera. But we have to battle with our ideas. And there are many, many ideas we have to battle against today. There was a t-shirt that I saw, which I always loved that, 
you know, I don't want to get into the details of specifically what it said, but it said Haomitzlio Normali, the strength that was from the Yeshiva Har Hamor. Now they were protesting something, was they had like Haomitz, the strength to be normal. You need a lot of strength to be normal today. You know that, hey, I'm happy. You know, I, I want to have children. I want to have a nice family. I want to have Parnassa. I want to I want to do what's right. Is it true today? The the I'll tell you a story quickly, just about what it means. I had a student from Western Massachusetts, which I thought was a, um, I thought it was like a Puritan type thing. You know, I, by me, America kind of like stopped in 1776. I read a lot about the revolution. And he said, no, no, it's very, very liberal. I teach mostly Bali Chuvan. His mother was a secular woman. And he said, my mother's very, very liberal. But she said it came to a certain point where even she was, she was a school advisor or something. And she said, just got to be too much to him. His, his name was Sander. I said, Sander, what happened? So he told me two stories. One, I'll leave off. He said, another one, he said, well, when four mothers came to speak to me about their child, four mothers came to speak to me about their child. I realized it was just, it was too much. Right? <laughs> I don't want to do the numbers. We did numbers, but you understand. So, so for us to keep our heads straight, and we're we're battling ourselves to bring ideals into ourselves, our families. That's our battle. And the Chesed, of course, is. And the more we're the more we're ready for that, the more we'll be ready for the the new world order which Mashiach will be uh, bringing in. And the more Chesed we do, for sure, it's going to get us ready. Does that answer your question? Okay. Any other questions? Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Rabbi Schoolmaker. It's such a, a thrill to learn Torah with you and to see you. And we're overdue to get together for our occasional uh, coffee. That's uh, right, for sure. I'm so glad to have you here on Web Yeshiva finally. And thanks to all of you online. And thanks to the very many people that will be listening on the archives, either now in advance of Pesach, uh, Tavshin, Pei Gimel, or at any point in the future. Um, we really appreciate having Rabbi Schoolmaker from Darche Noam, from the Chappelle's Yeshiva here with us online. And Chag Koshev Asameach to you and your family and to everybody in the audience. You too. You too. Thanks so much, everybody. Okay. All the best.